You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde's off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Shein rethinks an IPO in New York with its sights now set on London as the fast fashion company faces hurdles in the US. Plus, NVIDIA's $70 million supercomputer is hobbled in Florida by laws preventing top talent from ever setting foot in the state. We'll bring you the reporting from the ground. An Instagram competitor, Laps, raises $30 million from investors as it looks to provide an alternative social platform to Gen Z users. We'll discuss that and so much more throughout the hour. Good morning. This is what your markets look like. We're coming out of the tail end of earnings season for the technology sector and head first into a week where economic data is front and center. There's been choppy trading on the Nasdaq 100. We're currently up two tenths of a percent. Yields have been creeping higher. Why? We've pared back our expectations for what the Fed will or won't do with a rate cut, you look at US 10-year yield, 4.28%, been around 4.29%. One landmark moment, Bitcoin, just below 57,000 US dollars per token right now. Significant, because that took the global market for cryptocurrencies to $2 trillion in market cap total. I'm going to show you that chart later on in the hour. The crescendo of the week, 24 hours time when we get PCE data. Why? Because I think it will inform what the market at least thinks the third is going to do. And of course, higher rates. We know the story is how that impacts the tech sector. Single names we're watching. I talked about earnings season. Zoom up 4.7%, have been much higher. Uh, A relatively strong outlook for EPS, but they did a share buyback, $1.5 billion, a sweetener that investors like. NVIDIA has hit pause on its most recent rally, softer two-tenths of 1%. We're about to bring you a key story of what's going on with NVIDIA in Florida. And then Google is rebounding. It's up three-tenths of 1%, but there are concerns about Gemini and the image generator side of Gemini. And we're going to go to one analyst who has put those concerns right at the center of their most recent note. That's some names that are already trading. What about one that we're all waiting on? With hurdles affecting its potential IPO in the United States, fast fashion company 
Shein is considering switching its listing to overseas. The company, which was founded in China and is now headquartered in Singapore, is in the early stages of exploring a listing in London as the likelihood of the US SEC approving an IPO dims. Shein is still working on its application for the US, which remains its preferred location. That's all according to Bloomberg sources and reporting. And here with more is Bloomberg's Sweater Gopinath. Sweater, a good morning from San Francisco. Good afternoon to you in London. This could be big for London's market. This could be huge for London's market. The London IPO market has been particularly hard hit. The IPO market globally has slowed, of course, over the past 18 months or so. But the drop in London listings has been really stark. Um, just about a billion, just under a billion, in fact, was raised all through 2023 here in London. So a deal of this size, a listing like Shein, could be the boost this market has desperately been waiting for. Can London even support an IPO of this size. We kind of know what the numbers are, right, that, that Shein would be looking at in terms of volume raise, valuation. I go back to what happened with Arm in September. You know, you have to ask yourself, is the investor base there to back a London IPO? That is um, the billion or billions of dollars worth of, <laughs> that's the billion dollar question, actually. Um, because that's, that's, the, that's the obstacle that people say is holding London back. There just isn't investor appetite here, particularly for sort of fast growing young companies that have unproven business models. Um, Shein is doing very well by most accounts, but there are problems around it. So saying that questions about sort of the cotton it uses, where it comes from, sort of ethical ESG concerns around that and also just concerns about how it should be valued, the sort of varying estimate, estimates as for all private companies. But more broadly, there's just questions about how London fund managers value companies. Um, there's this idea that they don't value growth as highly as their US counterparts do, which is why we've seen a lot of British bond tech companies, including Arm, as you mentioned, choosing New York over London. All right, it is the IPO to watch this year, irrespective of where it ends up happening. Bloomberg Sweater, Gopinath, great to catch up with you. Thank you. Now, staying with news out of the UK, Sony's PlayStation London, best known for the SingStar series, as well as multiple virtual reality games, will shut down. Sony's also laying off around 900 employees, accounting for about 8% of its video game division. The company said that the layoffs will affect game makers across three of its most successful subsidiaries. Insomniac, the studio behind Spider-Man, Naughty Dog behind The Last of Us and Gorilla behind Horizon. The news comes after the company reported earlier this month that it would be cutting projects, projections sorry, for its PlayStation 5 console. Head of PlayStation Studios Herman Hulse said in a note to staff Tuesday that the company has also decided to cancel several games that were in development. Okay, let's turn to none other than NVIDIA. It is the stock to watch most days of the week. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis initially predicted that a supercomputer bankrolled by billionaire co-founder of the chip giant Chris Malakowski at the University of Florida would be a magnet for AI talent. But almost four years later, DeSantis' staunch anti-China stance is preventing some of the most highly skilled AI researchers from ever setting foot in the state. Joining us with the story is Bloomberg Michael Smith and what a story it is one of the most read on all Bloomberg platforms this morning just explain what's happening here there is a supercomputer in Florida it includes Nvidia backing and Nvidia tech but that computer is not getting the computer scientists it needs to support it yeah that's basically it um, 
basically last year, Governor DeSantis, uh, as part of his sort of campaign against uh, influ undue influence by China in the state of Florida and in the country, um, backed and heavily supported a law that basically, uh, that the legislature passed that basically prohibits uh, state universities in Florida from hiring uh, graduate students, PhD students uh, from China, Iran and five other countries of concern, as they call them, uh, they just basically cannot bring them over to study and perform research in uh, any field, including AI. So that's really put a hamper on what the University of Florida does. And NVIDIA comes in because uh, a few years ago, they built what's called the Hypergator AI. It's the, the, world, the world's fastest supercomputer on a college campus. Uh, and Chris Malakowski, who's a, an alumni, alumna, he went to the University of Florida, basically paid for it in conjunction with, with NVIDIA and the university kicked in some money. So they got this amazing $70 million computer, but they have a shortage of, of, of top talent researchers to take advantage of it. So that's really putting a hamper on what they want to do in Florida with, with AI. Uh, Michael, I just point out for our audience that NVIDIA declined to comment for your story, but I did speak two weeks ago with NVIDIA's CEO Jensen Huang, and on the issue of China, this is what he had to say. Have a listen. We have to comply with American policies, and um, whatever the rules and regulations are and the laws are, uh, we'll, number one, comply with that. Our goal are, are, and the United States would love to see us be a successful country, and, and, and one of the pillars of national security is successful industries. So, so the NVIDIA side of the story is pretty clear, right? We comply with the rules and regulations of the country we're from, and they want America to be the most competitive uh, source of AI uh, talent and operation. Go to Ron DeSantis' side of this and Florida's side of this. What is the concern that they have in letting in talent from overseas working in the field of artificial intelligence? Well, DeSantis has made this... Uh, uh a big talking point, if you will. Uh, he believes that, or he says that uh, there's, you know, you have to worry about uh, Chinese interest purchasing land, for example, uh, or, uh, or, or, you know, or getting access to technology via universities because they might be basically spying uh, on behalf of, of, of the Chinese military, the government, or even Chinese industry and stealing secrets, et cetera. So in the case of, um, and, and the law that he passed covered all those areas, but a, a big focus is uh, the university side of it. So he, they basically passed this law saying, um, you know, major restrictions on bringing in talent uh, researchers from China. Um, and he's really uh, latching on to to uh, something that's happened in the United States and other countries. For example, uh, the Trump administration issued a proclamation that allowed, that ordered the State Department to reject the visa of any aspiring PhD student from China and several other countries who were suspected of having any ties with the uh, military or the government in China. Um, and they've been doing that, and the Biden administration has continued that. I mean, they rejected uh, one year that we know, uh, almost 2,000 students uh, were not allowed to get visas to come and be PhD researchers in the in the technology fields. 
But uh, the Florida law is probably the most draconian way because it absolutely puts an end to, uh, it makes it impossible for professors to bring in talent from China and Iran. That's another key market for top AI talent in the world, Iranian uh, PhD students. Um, last year, they uh, just the University of Florida, that's the flagship university where the Hypergate is, is actually based, um, brought 1,000 students from the seven countries of concern, principally China, that are listed in this law that are now banned. So this year, last year they brought in 1,000, uh, this year, zero. Uh, and if you talk to professors, wow. they say that this is really hampering their ability to do cutting edge research. Bloomberg's Michael Smith with a very important piece of reporting, very well read on all Bloomberg platforms this morning. Thank you. Okay, time for some news and talking tech. First up, Alibaba leading the largest single financing round for a Chinese AI startup. The $1 billion funding round is the latest in a string of sizable investments that suggest the e-commerce firm is deploying capital in the hunt for growth. Founded last March, Moonshot AI is among the better known startups developing generative AI in China, hoping to eventually match the likes of OpenAI and Google. Plus, Exotigo, a startup that uses artificial Artificial intelligence and sensors to map the underground closed a $105 million funding round led by Greenfield Partners and Zeev Ventures. Established in June 2021, the company makes underground maps used by some of the world's largest energy, utility, transportation and construction companies. And Intense Eye has raised $64 million in a funding round led by Lightspeed Venture Partners to develop AI that can detect and help fix potential hazards in the workplace. The company says it can help save lives and reduce economic losses from millions of accidents every year. The New York-based startup's latest financing takes its total funding to about $90 million to date. Okay, let's stick with AI, the big story. Google plans to bring back its AI feature that generates images of people in, quote, the next couple of weeks. That according to the company's top AI executive. Google's Gemini, Google Gemini's image generator has been paused since last week due to criticism over inaccurate historical depictions of race. A recent note from Mellis Research says that, quote, the issue for the stock is not the debate itself. It is the perception of truth behind the brand. Here to explain that quote is the man behind the research, Ben Wrights, is managing director and head of technology research at Mellius. I, I spotted this. It crossed the Bloomberg terminal. It hit my inbox. And what you're referring to, I think, is the debate that's happening on social media. All kinds of people weighing in about the risk of Google getting it wrong with Gemini. Is that right? Yeah, I think that you want to make sure they don't have a Bud Light moment. Um, and we, we're, it, we're not sure yet. Um, I don't want to weigh in on the merits of uh, what they did or the debate. It, it's just real simple. When you alienate a part of the population and they believe that you may not be a source of truth, that's not good for business in their business. And they did that. And they need to fix it. And they need to um, start getting these launches tighter, too. You can't put out a product that's not ready um, and uh, shows ideology. So it, it's tough. We believe we're at a once-in-a-lifetime crossroads here where search is going to hand off 
to AI-like features. And if they're not a source of trust, that's a big deal. And uh, we're surprised investors are even taking it, you know, this calmly. Ben, when you cover this stock, I'm assuming that historically you focused on it as an advertising business. We're going to show Google's response to what's happening on your screen right now. But how have you had to adapt your modeling and, and analysis of this company, given the kind of shift over in focus to artificial intelligence? Well, we uh, listen, we do the best we can. The, the issue, there's not any guidance, of course, from the company, which is their style. Uh, but the issue here, you know, you've seen from Gartner that they believe 25% of traditional search is going away in a few years to be cannibalized by AI search. Not really sure how they got there. Um, what we do know is search should change due to AI. Uh, Google has already basically told you that with their search generative experience where it's kind of a hybrid. Um, we think that there's upstarts such as perplexity AI and whatever open AI is going to do that are going to get a good look from a lot of younger consumers that may change their habits as we enter an AI world. One individual who is paying close attention to the, the Gemini situation is Elon Musk. He's posted a lot on his platform X in the last 48 hours. This is the first line of something that caught my eye. Given that Gemini AI will be at the heart of every Google product and YouTube, this is extremely alarming. It kind of speaks to the point that you just made, Ben. How big a risk factor is it to Alphabet, the parent of Google, that Elon Musk clearly is focused on this and is keeping it in, in the public consciousness for the time being? Well, it's not good. And Elon, uh, as is well chronicled on why he could be upset as well with, with what happened when uh, the model uh, asked questions about him versus uh, some uh, unsavory you know, gentleman. The, uh, the issue here is Elon does have a big microphone. And like I said, I mean, again, I don't want to weigh in on the merits of the debate or what was potentially done, but you, you know, they're in a business of trust of information and that has been rattled. And um, I think that Elon has a big microphone and uh, obviously with his platform of X, which he controls. So, you know, we've been keeping track of a lot of the fodder on it. Um, and we'll see if that has yeah. uh, an impact. But the average consumer doesn't know the difference between, you know, a lot of the different products, too. So they see lack of truth in one thing. They might think there's lack of truth in another thing. All right. Melius Research Managing Director and Head of Technology Research, Ben Wrightsis and Google, we were rebounding today. Now, coming up on the show, GitHub making Copilot Enterprise, an AI offering that helps streamline code navigation and comprehension and available for just $39 per user per month. We speak to GitHub CEO coming up next. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice 
or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. All right, today GitHub, an AI-powered developer platform, is making GitHub Copilot Enterprise available to every organization for just $39 per user per month. The AI offering is personalized for each organization, making it possible to streamline code navigation and comprehension. Here with more GitHub CEO Thomas Domke. And Thomas, good morning to you. I guess if you're a novice coder like me or you're a veteran, this is a useful application. Uh, and, and I guess you're targeting those two very different end markets. Yeah, absolutely. No, Ed, what we have seen in the last year is that companies no longer just look at digital transformation. They're actually looking into the AI transformation. And GitHub Copilot started it all by giving developers AI-based auto-suggestions, you know, auto-completion in the editor. And uh, with Copilot Enterprise, it can now be customized to all the internal knowledge of an organization, the code base. Imagine, you know, you're a new developer at Bloomberg TV. It's your first day. And you can just ask Copilot how things are done at Bloomberg, all the institutional knowledge at your fingertips. A part of this, in, in some of the similar tools I've seen, is kind of the predictive nature, right? You're writing a line of code and the rest is, is auto-completed. What is the performance and competence level of your technology vis-a-vis -a, -vis a, a veteran coder who could write it themselves? You know, it actually depends on what you're doing yourself. We see a lot of developers are learning to use Copilot while typing code. You know, you figure out um, when you write a couple of characters in your editor that if you, if you do it in a certain way, uh, you, get, you get a better suggestion, you get a better answer. And so developers increase their proficiency level as they're using Copilot. We see that they're getting more productive, you know, up to 55% in, in case studies that we have ran. Uh, and we are seeing developers actually be measurable, more, more, more fulfilled, more happy. Uh, Thomas, Microsoft, your, your parent company, was pretty stoked about the base version of Copilot. Do you think $39 a month will, will see the, the, the enterprise version gain traction? Absolutely. You know, the, 
the traction that we have seen over the last year has been phenomenal. We have over 50,000 organizations already onboarded to Copilot, more than 1.3 million paid users. And we see a lot of excitement from all kinds of industries. It's no longer right. just the, the cool startups and the tech companies. It's, it's you know, pharmaceutical companies, automotive companies, lots of financial services institutions, the global system integrators like Accenture. Um, and so we see tremendous excitement there. We have run the, the preview of Copilot Enterprise for the last three months um, and, and received feedback from companies like Figma, Shopify, or right. Telos telling us that the collaboration is getting so much better if Copilot knows about what's happening within the company. Uh, Bloomberg reported earlier this month that Apple is looking to do something very similar with Xcode, and uh, you know a very similar tool. What do you make of that? You know, clearly this is becoming a battleground. The use of generative AI within the writing of code. You know, I think as a developer, this is the most exciting era um, that I have seen over the last 30 years, where all these companies, including Microsoft and GitHub, are working to make developers more productive. To have them focus on the things they love doing and have AI help them with the things that they don't love to do, right? This is exciting for developers. The work uh, load, the amount of code that developers have to manage today is so big that we really need to bring the effort down of doing of all, doing all this work, ma maintaining all this legacy code, code that lasts back, you know, until the 1960s with COBOL uh, and Fortran and other languages that are still running in our production system. So it's, it's really exciting. You don't see all the innovation and um, we hope we stay at the forefront of this. It's going to make hackathons interesting. GitHub CEO Thomas Donkey, good to catch up with you. Thank you for your time. Now, coming up, Canada introduces an online safety law to hold social media companies responsible for harmful content. We'll bring you those deets next. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. You can see behind me Microsoft down around half a percentage point, but that does make it the biggest points drag on the Nasdaq 100. A lot of reporting in recent, oh, a lot of reporting for the last 12 months about Microsoft's efforts in AI. But this one story seems to be relevant. Microsoft's investment into AI startup Mistral is facing scrutiny in the EU a day after the company announced a strategic partnership that includes making the startup latest AI models available to customers of Microsoft's Azure Cloud. I want to go out to London and Bloomberg's Mark Bergen. We, we know very clearly the relationship between Microsoft and OpenAI. So now they're making a, a relationship with Mistral and very quickly the EU wants to look at it. What, what do we know? Uh, yeah, that's effectively what we know. I mean, we know that the relations, the numbers are very different, right? So Microsoft has put it up to about 13 billion into OpenAI, largest financial backer, largest partner for a number of years since, since 2019. The Mistral partnership includes, uh, from, from Microsoft's end, they've told us a $15 million uh, investment. So, uh, actually, 15 million euros, sorry. So, uh, pretty small, uh, certainly relative to, to their share in OpenAI. This is a, for, for both sides, you know, for Mistral, this get, makes them the second company after OpenAI to have their language models available for customers on Microsoft's Azure Cloud, and so this is for them. Uh, you know, they've been, they're they're French so far. They've been rel pretty uh, relegated to, to I say to Europe, but this certainly gives them a, a much bigger potential to have a, a global reach. And for Microsoft, they can go out to regulators and say, "Look, we are not just tied to OpenAI. We have a partnership with uh, this this French and European championship that is using." Open 
open source, which is one of the things that, that Microsoft has talked a lot about championing recently. Yeah, we had EU Competition Commissioner Margareta Vestager here in SF a few weeks ago. And when I sat down with her, she explained, we're basically going to look at the entire industry for AI and understand what's happening. And then I think back to, well, how do things normally go in Europe? They, they look at things all the time. I think our understanding is that the commission got a copy of the agreement between the two parties, Mistral and, and Microsoft. What happens next? You know, do they face a serious probe or a problem? I mean, certainly, it's probably more pressure on Microsoft's end, right? They're facing a lot of, uh, they're facing a probe around their partnership with OpenAI. Um, they're sort of the poster child for what has happened in the past two years is this relationship between these big tech companies uh, that have, in, you know, Microsoft, uh, Google, Amazon, we've seen Salesforce, NVIDIA, Intel, uh, make these pretty large, substantial investments into generative AI companies. On the other side, the flip side, that comes with uh, sort of a strings attached where they're going to be using and in this case, Mistral is using Microsoft's cloud. OpenAI is using Microsoft's cloud. Google's investments are going back and using their cloud. And I think that's sort of that's certainly what, what regulators have been, been talking about is unpacking those relationships. And I think you know going forward, I, Mistral is in a really interesting position because they are and have been this this. Uh, champion in, in France making the argument that Europe needs a strong open AI player. Uh, and so I think for a lot of, the, in, in Europe, it, I think scrutinizing a company like Mistral won't be the same as going after some of these big tech companies from the US. All right, Bloomberg's Mark Bergen out of London. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government introduced an online safety law joining European countries in trying to compel internet companies to actively regulate and remove harmful content. With us to discuss is Ashley Casavan, Managing Director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals AI Governance Centre. We've been talking about this in recent weeks. It is happening all over the world. In the US, we're in an election cycle where we're worried about the moderation of content online. First of all, your reaction to what Canada has done uh, and how effective you think it will be. Yeah, I think it's another in a series, as you said, of uh, countries that are really thinking about the implications of online harms, especially for children. Uh, so we've seen this uh, play out in the U.S. context recently with the conversations related to COSA and COPPA. And as you mentioned, really matching what's happening in the European context. Uh, I think it's a positive step forward. These were commitments that were made uh, a long time ago by the Trudeau government. And so uh, really happy to see that this joins other online uh, bills, both internationally, but then also to match the Digital Charter Implementation Act in Canada. The internet is the internet. Uh, it is everywhere. It is global. It's now in space. And, and every day we're talking about a different country. At some point, do you think that, that everyone should just get together and have a common set of rules? Or is that a na naive position to take? I don't think so. I think that's actually exactly the question that's at play right now by a lot of international organizations uh, like the G7, like the OECD, like the World Economic Forum, like the UN uh, are really thinking about their position in conveners of countries. Uh, how do we think about these digital implications?
specifications and rules for guardrails for those digital services uh, in a combined way. Uh, one, I, one of the challenges, I think, is the different trade-offs and values that you have between uh, different nations, uh, but you also have things like data transfer issues uh, when you're thinking about more of the national implications. And so how all of this is actually going to play out uh, in an international space, I think, uh, is remains to be seen. Actually, for the, the, the platforms of the tech companies, there is a policy consideration and then there's a technology consideration. Uh, yeah. Is there any one social media platform or company that you think is doing a good job of their own volition to moderate content? We are a policy neutral organization, so I won't speak to uh, one organization uh, over the other, but I think that we can start to see some best practices that are emerging in different types of use cases where we're thinking again about uh, rules around children's safety, uh, making sure that there are certain types of parental controls that are in place, uh, making sure that we're even seeing where there's alerts that are being provided with uh, the amount of time that a child's been online uh, or anybody has been online giving you alerts to uh, to you as an individual directly. So I think these are some of the emerging trends that we're seeing, and they're coming out from a variety of different companies. And it's not to say that that then uh, makes one company more proficient in that space over the other. I think. Uh, the whole community is really learning together, both policymakers and uh, industry players that have these research capacities within their organizations. Ashley Casavan of the IAPP AI Governance Center. Great to have your time. Thank you so much. Now, coming up, we'll speak with the new VC firm, Pari Passu Venture Partners, just coming out of stealth. Managing partner, Julia Gudish Krieger, joins us next. We'll also... Let's stick with AI. Why not? Every day, AI, all the time. Here are two names that we touch on every so often. Soundhound AI and Big Bear AI, both up big time. 23% for Big Bear. I'm looking on the Bloomberg terminal. I'm looking at the news wires. Big Bear has its AGM today. I doubt that is the causal link of what's driving the stock higher. And Soundhound is among the most discussed on stock twits and other Reddit forums. But these names have behaved like meme stocks, as well as being caught up in the kind of hype cycle we've seen for AI-related names in equity markets. But two big movers this Tuesday. We'll be right back. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, quick update. The global crypto total market cap is now at $2 trillion, driven basically by the rally in Bitcoin. Bitcoin surged around 12% already in the last seven days or so. It's trading near that high level of December 2021. But the main point is, if you look right in the far right-hand side of your screen, $2 trillion of total market cap for all digital tokens as tracked by www.coinmarketcap.com. What fun. All right, let's stick with digital assets and zero in on NFTs, which went from being touted as the cutting edge of the digital frontier to, frankly, the punchline for the most recent crypto bust. But suddenly, they're staging an unlikely comeback. Joining me on set is Bloomberg's Hannah Miller. You write with such fun about this, but it's true. You know, we kind of went from all the craze, crazy dollar values to some memes and some jokes about people that had bought in. Uh, What does the data tell you now? Yeah, so the big question here is, can NFTs ride the crypto comeback? You know, can they match Bitcoin's price rise? And what we're seeing here is that, you know, there's an overall upward trend in terms of total volume for NFT sales, but it's been a little bumpy. Um, so there are these questions of about what NFTs are good for. And startup founders are doubling down on gaming, finance, and art as the main areas that we can use NFTs in. Uh, we just showed that chart. Uh, Alice, the director, bring back the chart. Because uh, it's astonishing. What happened in December? You kind of had like a weird 2023, quiet summer, and then December, the market becomes alive again. Yeah, so we know that there was a lot of optimism over the expected approval of the Bitcoin ETF, uh, which did happen in January. Um, And there are these NFT-like objects called ordinals that are based on the Bitcoin blockchain. We saw huge, huge sales for ordinals during the fall as people were getting really revved up about Bitcoin. So we have seen this optimism about Bitcoin, this excitement about the ETF bleed over into the NFT market. Just really quick, gaming is a big part of the story. Help me explain uh, that one. 100%, yeah. So a lot of startups, including Yuga Labs, the creator of the Board Ape Yacht Club NFT collection, are doubling down on gaming. They see this as a way to bring mainstream audiences into crypto, into NFTs, and create games that are fun to play, but also have blockchain in the background. Bloomberg's Hannah Miller, top 
top reporting. Thank you very much. Right, let's get to today's VC Spotlight and bring in a firm that's just coming out of stealth, Paris Passu Venture Partners, which brands itself as a founder-led and backed early-stage venture firm investing at the intersection of tech and retail, SaaS and consumer tech. It's invested in 19 companies to date, with check sizes ranging from $100,000 to over $3 million per company. Managing partner Julia Gudish-Krieger joins me now from New York. Uh, good morning to you, Julia. Good morning. This is an interesting concept. Uh, we, we All the time, we have startup founders on the show that have come out of stealth. They kind of work behind the scenes for a year, raise money discreetly, and then say, this is what we do. You're a venture firm coming out of stealth. Why so discreet? So what we're launching today um, is an app called Peripasu, which is a members-only investor network that allows founders and operators and accredited tech enthusiasts to back leading startups within SaaS, you know, as you mentioned, um, e-commerce tech, consumer tech, but really alongside leading global venture capital firms. And so for us, as founders backing founders, we know it takes a village. And we know that to get a company to the scale that you need to succeed and to exit, that village is supercharged by having you know, operators that have been in the trenches themselves, that have created themselves, that know how to roll up their sleeves and support. Um, right. That's the village that we want our founders to have. And we're launching Perry Pursue to create the world's most powerful network of founder support and unlock access to highly competitive venture capital deals, but for operators that can put in right. as little as 10K. Well, what you say, it takes a village, but there's an element of exclusivity to it because it's members only. Uh, could you explain that part to me? Yes, and so the members only piece is really because we want to make sure we're supercharging the value out on cap tables. And so focusing first on letting on founders, operators that are VP level and up, people that can really add a tremendous amount of value because if we're writing a million dollar check into a company and let's say it's 20 people behind the scenes that are writing checks from 10K, checks at 2 million, you know, sometimes historically. Um, we want those people to be able to be highly value add. We want those people to be able to have a network for an introduction if a company wants to speak to a brand, right? If a company wants to navigate the right equity package for a certain hire, right? And I think that village being operators themselves ends up being tremendously impactful for the success of these companies. A kind of um, phenomenon, I guess, that we've covered on the show over the last 12 months is the appetite of the everyday investor, let's call them retail investor, to get particularly into growth stage companies like SpaceX and OpenAI, right? There was suddenly uh, a, a turnaround in what is normally an illiquid market. And I wonder if through Paripasu, you, you think you'll see the same sort of engagement at the early stage where people that traditionally just cannot or won't invest in uh, startups through venture funds now can. Yeah, I think part of the bottleneck is if you want to invest in a venture fund, typically it's a 250K minimum check, even if you do have access, right? And so a lot of the founders and operators that are still building, whose you know, cash is more sitting in the form of equity you know, for that future win, they're not able to participate in that mechanism. And so Perry Pursue is really opening the doors to allow those operators um, to be able to invest in a really accessible access point, um, but building a highly curated right. ecosystem. 
I, I introed you saying you're going to invest at the intersection of basically everything. Um, but I wonder, <laughs> is there one main area that you're really excited about? We just have 30 seconds. Sure. Um, so I would say we have a pretty unfair advantage in terms of e-commerce SaaS. Um, across the partnership, we have lived many lives in that ecosystem. Um, my two partners sold the largest Shopify agency in that space. So you think about having access to hundreds of brand CEOs and the e-commerce tech selling into it. That's who you want on your cap table. Um, but I've spent the better part of two decades in both the venture and founder ecosystem um, alongside my partners as well. And so the deep relationships that you can only forge over that amount of time are what give us access to some of the most highly competitive deals in venture. All right. Parry Passu Venture Partners, managing partner, Julia Gudis-Krieger. Great to have you on the program. Thank you for your time. Laps, the latest Instagram competitor, has raised $30 million in its Series A funding round. The platform allows users to take photos with a distinctly vintage feel that cannot be seen for a few hours until they develop. These new funds allow the friends-focused photo sharing app to expand engineering and technical teams and implement community-led product updates, continuing to iterate on the user experience. I'm delighted to say that co-founder Dan Silverton joins me now. So, so this is like a very interesting concept. You don't just take a photo and use basically a filter, right, that gives it a vintage feel. Your platform then makes the user wait a number of hours to replicate the film development process. Explain it. That's exactly right. And one of the things that makes Lapso different from the way that you take photos on either your native camera or any other app today is that we really closely mimic, not just an aesthetic, but also experience the feeling of using either a disposable camera or a film camera. And we really find that not just in terms of actually the way the photos look, but actually the ability to keep you in the moment. Because often when you take a photo, you're doing something really exciting that you want to, to live as fully as you can. Our users really appreciate that feeling other than right. other kinds of social media, which really suck them in. It, it, let, let's think about your business. You have a good runway now because you raised $30 million, but is this going to be an ad-based platform or a subscription-based platform? So it's, it's quite early to say or too early to say at the moment. We have early hypotheses that we will not monetize through ads, but right now we're focused on just building the best possible user experience and scaling that to as many users as we can. Um, what we've seen with the traditional social platforms is that monetization tends to come a lot later in their life cycle. And with these new investors that we brought on, they've all invested in the incumbent social platforms that previously started and seen that journey. And so they're fully behind us in terms of understanding that monetization necessarily comes a lot later. I'm really interested in, in Lapse's growth, Dan. You know, are you seeing engagement through iOS or Android? Geographically, where do you think you're going to be strong? Good question. So today, the app is only on iOS. We're not on Android yet. That will come in the future. But today, the focus is very much iOS. We're very strong in the US, so most of our users are in the US, but we also still have some in the UK and in Canada as well. But for us, very much the focus, like I said, is in the US, and we see a very strong bias towards Gen Z and, and female users, which tend to be the early adopter cohorts for these new social platforms, which is really encouraging to see that those are the users that are organically using the platform. I want to go to who you think you're competing with. I was talking with Bloomberg Technologies' Jackie Lopez about this. You're making the user wait. I'm assuming the technology doesn't require you to wait. You're just doing it as a feature. That puts you on a collision course with who? Instagram, Snap? 
exactly. And then also actually the user's native camera as well. We actually see, because the camera, or the app rather, opens to camera, we actually see ourselves very much first as a, as a camera app. Because we believe that if we are the, we're able to own the top of funnel content capture for users, then all of the other things that can come off the back of that, like the sharing, the, um, the journaling, the, the kind of uh, curating and, and the highlights, um, all, of, all of that is downstream from the capture. So we're really focused on providing the best possible capture experience for users. And so actually, one of the best or one of the, the biggest competitors to us is the user's native camera on their phone. All right, Laps co-founder Dan Silverton, hot off a Series A round, $30 million. Thank you for your time. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We won't make you wait. Check out the podcast. It'll be online soon on the terminal, Bloomberg platforms, Apple, iHeart, and of course on Spotify. Uh, Brace yourselves. There's a big week of economic data and it's going to impact these markets. Tune in. This is Bloomberg Technology. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.